Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take a second and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, and your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 49 the Jake Arietta episode of this podcast. May the Cubs find an arm as hot as Jake was in the push to the 2015 postseason. The Cubs are in the dog days right now. The bullpen is tired and the starting rotation is down going through injuries and struggles, but the team continues to win baseball games. There are some big questions as the Cubs move forward towards September, but they're moving up in the wildcard race and they're staying on the Brewers' heels in the division. What do the Cubs need to do to stay in the race and get over the hump? Let's discuss. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We go. So it's the back half of August 2023, and I'm at episode 49, and the Cubs are in contention. Who knew either of these things were going to happen? But I want to thank you for sticking with me. I'm a little bit late on this episode this week. I was all set to do, um, I was all set to record last Thursday after the thrilling walk off Christopher Morell over the White Sox. I was going to do some comparisons back to other big games that have swayed pennant races in the past. I was going to look at the Sandberg game, the 9 nothing comeback against the Astros in 1989, my own family going to the 2015 Milwaukee Brewers series sweep in August when the Cubs were just white hot. Um, I'll do those another time. The week has kind of moved on. I had a knee injury, had some reaction to some anti-inflammatories and possibly a vi- virus on top. So I've been a bit under the weather and unable to record, but I want to keep this going. I mean, the Cubs are playing fun baseball. I know it's it's tense. Every game's exciting. When you look at the month of August, the Cubs are twelve and six. That's great. I mean, that's that's a ninety win pace. In games decided by five runs or more, they're two and three. And then when you get to the close games, they've kind of flipped the script from earlier in the season. Early in the season, the Cubs were just losing close game after close game after close game. And this month so far, in games decided by two runs or less, the Cubs are nine and three. And in one run games, they're five and two. So they're getting it done. Game after game is close. I mean, looking at the game scores, since the last time I recorded, the Cubs won two out of three against the Blue Jays. One of those wins was a 5-4 win by one run, and then they lost a blowout game on Sunday. And then against the White Sox, they played two very close games. They lost 5-3 to three and won 4-3 to three in thrilling fashion on that morale walk-off. If you haven't read it, uh, Sarah Sanchez has a great piece at Bleed Cubby Blue talking about that comeback win, comparing it to some other games, and just the description she has from being you know, blocks away from the stadium and being able to hear the noise from the crowd and hear the roar before she actually saw the result on TV. So go check that out if, if you haven't already. And then against the Royals this past weekend, the Cubs won two out of three. They lost a one-run game on Friday. They won a two-run game on Saturday, and they won a one-run game on month, on Sunday. And then last night they had a one-run win over Detroit in kind of thrilling fashion. I see a lot of angst in stress over these games, which I totally get. I mean, that's that's the point of meaningful baseball and the end of the season, right? 
The Cubs are currently second place in the NL Central. They're two and a half games behind Milwaukee. And the Cubs are a half game up on San Francisco in the wild card for the second wild card. So the Cubs are now basically a full game ahead of Arizona for being you know, out of the wild card. So the Cubs have put themselves in position from a point in time where at one point in May, they had the worst record in the National League to now they are very much in contention for their division. They've got a series coming up with the Brewers. And they're if the season ended today, they're in a wild card spot. In fact, if they ended the season today, they would play go on the road and play three games in the wild card round against the Phillies in Philadelphia. Not sure that's the greatest matchup in the world, but you know what? I'd take it. And one of the things about late season baseball is it's supposed to be exciting. Games are not easy. Baseball is not easy. You know, baseball, look at the Cubs last year. The Cubs were out of it, absolutely out of it. And they put put up like a 31-18 and 18 final stretch of the season. I mean, the Cubs were better in the second half than they were early. And some of these other teams are not just going to mail it in. The Kansas City Royals made some trades. They picked up some young players who are hungry and they want to show that they belong in the major leagues. Some of these teams, when you replace the guys they trade away with new young blood, those guys come in and, and it's sporadic and there's a streakiness to it and there's some some boomer bust quality to it. But a lot of times those teams get better or at least they're going to play you tough and they're not just going to roll over and give up a series sweep because the standings say the Kansas City Royals are the second worst team in baseball and the Cubs are in contention or that the Detroit Tigers are going to be bad and just roll over because the Cubs are in contention. It's not how it works. you got to play the games. <clears throat> Another thing I've seen lately, I tweeted about it today, um, the Cubs are facing some pitchers that are not great starting pitchers. Last night they faced Fado from Detroit, who came in with like a 5.3-ish ERA, somewhere between 5.15 and 5.45. I can't remember what it was last night. But when you come in against a starting pitcher with an ERA north of five, you certainly don't expect to get shut down for seven, eight innings. But there is, I think, kind of a disconnect. I think fans a lot of times see that. They're excited. This Cubs offense has been really good in the second half, although it's cooling off a bit lately. And there's this perception out there that the Cubs are just going to roll out there. Hey, the starting pitcher's got an ERA over five. We're going to win this game 8-2, to 10-2, to two, whatever the case is. And that's not really how the math works. I mean, hopefully that happens. I mean, you're facing a starting pitcher that's not great. Hopefully you can get them in a hole early, knock them out early, get into the middle of a bad bullpen, all that kind of stuff, and run up a score. But really, if you look at a you know, five ERA pitcher, that's a guy who, on average, is going to give up you know, between two and a half and three and a half runs over five innings on an average outing. And so that means the Cubs you know, would have somewhere between probably two and four runs by the fifth or the sixth. And if the Cubs are giving up a couple runs, and if the Cubs don't continue to pile on against a mediocre bullpen, you're in a close game. That's how these games are going. And I heard a stat last night, I think it was JD brought it up, that for Fado, despite his high ERA and, and some of his high numbers, basically he had two starts this season back-to-back where he gave up a combined 13 runs across two starts. And that jacked up his numbers if you take those numbers out of play. And I know you can't. like you know, Your season numbers are what they are. But outside of those two games, he's pitched to about a 3.15 ERA. And yesterday, that's kind of where he was. Um, he pitched six innings, gave up four runs. Only two of them were earned. So that's a 3.0 ERA for the day. So that's what the Cubs are doing. The Cubs just need to continue to push. You know, 
so many times early in the season, the Cubs would get up, score two, three, four runs early in the game, and that was kind of it. And they had some element to that yesterday. You know, like they got up early and then say attacked on a home run. And then after the game was tied, you know, the Cubs got a couple more in the ninth and then managed to hold on. But when you look at these, you know, these games come down to those late innings. They come down to can you put up a crooked number instead of just getting one? Can you get that one last insurance run across in the seventh or the eighth that's going to be the difference in the bullpen holding on to a game? Because while the Cubs bullpen has been really, really good, especially since June 1st. They are doing a lot with a few guys. Adbert Azalai is the closer. Julian Merriweather, Mark Leiter Jr., and Michael Fulmer are carrying the bulk of the load. And you you could see it the last couple of weeks. There have been a couple outings where a couple of those guys have been shaky. And it's not that they're bad. It's that they're, I talked about in the last time I recorded, they're all on pace for 70-plus appearances. And that's a load. Now, Fulmer's done that before, but Merriweather, Leiter Jr., and Adbert Azalei have not. So those guys are getting in uncharted territory, just like Steele in the starting rotation. So the Cubs are going to have to find ways to get those guys some breaks. And so one of the adventures last night in the 7-6 win is Adbert was down and Merriweather were down. And probably I could argue that Leiter and Fulmer should have also been down. But the game didn't quite dictate that. The Cubs got up, you know, I think it was 5 nothing, and then Assad gave up two back-to-back home runs, and the Cubs were trying to stretch an extra inning out of Assad. Probably if you're if you're just managing that game in a vacuum, you probably pull Assad after five. His pitch count was up a little bit, and he had the heart of the order coming up with Torkelson and Carpenter. And you don't necessarily expect to give up back-to-back home runs, but that was a place where there could be some damage. So in an ideal world, you probably do bring in someone like Michael Fulmer maybe to just take that inning. But this wasn't normal. Like Alzelay had pitched in several games in a row recently. Same with Merriweather. Leiter has been getting a ton of work. Fulmer has been getting a ton of work. It really would have been great if the Cubs could have scored enough runs or had enough trust in the other guys in that bullpen to be able to let them grab that extra day of rest. So I assume today probably Merriweather and Alzelay are back in play and maybe Fulmer and, and Leiter are down tonight. We'll see how it goes. One of the things I think the Cubs need to do in the next couple weeks is find that fifth guy. And maybe that fifth guy is is Quas. He's looked pretty good. He had one bad outing against Kansas City where he gave up a couple runs. But for the most part, he's looked pretty solid. So I think he's getting into that circle of trust. And they really got to find one more. I think there's been a lot of hope that Daniel Palencia would be that guy. And Palencia has had his moments. I mean, he came in, his major league debut was exquisite against Milwaukee, pitching the ninth and the 10th for the win. And he gave up some loud outs, but he got out of that game and the Cubs got the win. Last night, he looked really good. He came in after Fulmer had gotten in some trouble in the seventh and got the last two guys, got a strikeout and a pop-up to end the game. He was, he was throwing his usual darts. I think all but one of his pitches were over 98 miles an hour. When he missed, he was missing out of the zone instead of missing middle-middle like he's done too many times. So hopefully that's a good sign. There does seem to be help coming. Brad Boxberger and Nick Birdie are both going to pitch tonight in Iowa, according to Taylor McGregor. And I know Brendan Hughes is also throwing bullpens, um, so hopefully he's on the way soon. But I think Boxberger and Birdie could be near-term. They've both pitched. They've both made a few outings in rehab and done reasonably well. They both got lit up a bit in their first outing, but then they've settled back. Nick Birdie, for instance, uh, gave up 
two runs in the third of an inning in his first outing in the complex league, but then followed that up with, you know, one scoreless inning with a K and then went to Iowa and he got a shutdown one, two, three inning with a K and then a uh, two inning scoreless or two strikeout scoreless inning with a walk and a hit by pitch. So they're both kind of working out the kinks. They had neither one is pitching the game in at least a couple months. So hopefully, you know, another outing or two and those guys can be back in Chicago. I think Boxberger in particular is a guy, if he's back healthy, could maybe get into that circle of trust, but they've got to be able to push that out. They've got to be able to not just have to lean on those same four guys all the time, which takes us to the starting rotation. So in the starting rotation in the first half of the season, it was great. You know, Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele were both pitching at all-star levels, putting up numbers that would put them in contention for the Cy Young Award. Drew Smiley was kind of a rare find. I mean, he was throwing so well the first half of the year. And then once he came back, Kyle Hendricks started to stack up quality start after quality start. Jamison Tyone struggled early, but now the last his last eight or nine starts have been pretty solid, minus one or two. Um, hopefully he can keep that up and continue to be that strike thrower, the guy who can, you know, get through six. I think we came in hoping he could be an innings eater and maybe consistently go seven. Maybe that's not who he is this year, but if he can get six, that's going to go a long way for this team. But now Marcus Stroman is hurt. He was out with the hip injury after a run of bad starts where he was fighting both the blister and then apparently hip inflammation. But now all of a sudden, like right before he was supposed to come back from the hip, they announced that he had a rib cartilage fracture. And I don't, there's not been any word out on how that got caused. Um, I've heard anecdotal stories of you, know, you can get that by you know intense coughing. There are other things that could happen. But long story short, it's not a common baseball injury. It's not something pitchers get on the regular. So it's not real clear what his return is. I know anything in the in the rib area, anything basically in the core of your body, especially if you're a pitcher, there's a lot of rotational stuff you do when you're pitching. And so I would imagine that would probably have him a bit on the longer side of recovery. I mean, my own, I am not a doctor. Um, my own Googling said sort of six to 12 weeks for that kind of injury. And on the one hand, you could say he's, you know, a world-class athlete. Stroman is famous for keeping himself in very good shape. So maybe that would be a little bit shorter, but then you factor in the rotational nature of pitching and who knows, but like six weeks would basically put him at the end of the season. So maybe we'll see him, maybe we don't. That obviously has implications for next year. Through the first couple months, it was widely assumed that Marcus Stroman was going to opt out of his contract at the end of the year, and there were big questions about whether the Cubs would extend him or not. At this point, I certainly don't think the Cubs are going to do an extension when he basically had six, seven weeks of bad outcomes followed by injuries. But I think it's also a lot less likely that Stroman's going to opt out. He's got a about $21 million player option for next year. And I don't know at this point, after the struggles he had, probably largely related to the hip injury, and then this new injury now it's going to keep him out for the last five, six weeks minimum, is going to put him in a position to be able to make more than $21 million a year in free agency. So I think his best bet may well be to just go ahead and accept that player option, pitch with the Cubs, and hope he can pitch his way in, into some more money. But we'll see what happens there. But so now that leaves us with a rotation that is Justin Steele continuing to do his Justin Steele things, put up excellent numbers. He's second in the National League in ERA. He's among the leader if he's among the leaders if he's not the leader in pitcher wins, which is not the most important statistic in the world. But 
he's just very consistently going out and giving you six plus innings. He's fought through a couple, two, three starts ago. He was pitching on a really hot afternoon in Chicago, went 110 pitches, gutted, gutted through that. Struggled a little bit his next time out, but he, you know, he pitched well again his last his last turn. So he continues to do good things. Jamison Tyone has largely been better. Kyle Hendricks just continues to. He, sometimes he doesn't even look that great. He comes out in the first inning, gives up a couple runs. Thinking, oh, this this is rough. Hopefully he can make it through four or five. And next thing you know, he's pitched seven innings and given up two runs. So hopefully Kyle can keep that going because the team needs it. So the last two spots are Drew Smiley has been. He's been really, really rough the last month and a half, two months. It got to a point where the Cubs were bringing him in as a piggyback after an opener. They did that a couple times, once with Wesneski and I think the other time with Assad. I may have that one wrong. Um, they had actually pulled him out of the rotation when it looked like Stroman was going to come back. Basically, Assad took Stroman's spot in the rotation, and then um, Stroman was going to come back, and, and Smiley was going to go to the pen. And he did go to the pen and pitched it couple times and pitched pretty well out of the pen but now they need they need him up so he's going to start tonight's game we'll see how it goes I think they have Hayden Wozneski who only pitched two-thirds of an inning last night I think he's going to be set to probably come in if, if Smiley has issues we'll see what he does tonight I think after that it's going to kind of dictate what the Cubs do the rest of the way I think the Cubs are going to do everything possible to while not pulling steal from anything or skipping a start explicitly. I think they're going to do anything they can to try to give him an extra day in the rotation where they can. So if they have an off day that's pushing, like I think the last time around they had pushed Tyone to regular off days had pushed Tyone to regular rest. So they brought back him on his regular rest and gave steel an extra day. I think they're going to do a lot of that. Steel's already passed his innings high for his career. And he, he's looked good doing it, so there's I don't think there's any real reason to stop it, but I think they're going to start looking with looking at him and treating him carefully. I mean, late in the season last year, he stacked up some injuries when he got past his um, up to and past his what had been his career high. So I think the Cubs are just going to continue to be careful. So what do they do with that extra spot? We'll see if Smiley can stick in the rotation, see how he does tonight. I'm hearing a lot of noise about, or at least there's a lot of smoke around Jordan Wicks. Nobody said anything explicitly. There's some speculation maybe he might come up and start on Thursday in that first game in Pittsburgh. And that might be a way to either, A, potentially bring him into Smiley's spot in the rotation, or bring him up, maybe spot start him here and there, and use him to kind of give Steele those extra days of rest. But Wicks is interesting. He's put up good numbers in Iowa, I think about a 3.8 ERA in 30-something innings, and then he pitched like, between 50 and 60 innings in double a with a 333 ERA. So, I mean, he's a guy that the Cubs drafted with their first, their first overall pick in 2021. And they expected him to be a quick mover. He was a college pitcher, had some maturity. He's got a number of pitches. He's got a really good changeup. can throw his fastball mid nineties. And they saw him as somebody who would rise up through the system quickly. And that's what he's done. He hasn't necessarily, jumped off the page at every level, but he's been consistent and consistently good at every level. And he's moved up pretty quickly as evidenced by potentially looking at a major league debut, you know, two seasons after he was drafted. So we'll see if that happens. And the Cubs are also looking at some other potential call-ups. There's been a lot of noise about Pete Crow Armstrong, who's tearing it up in Iowa after tearing it up in double A, after tearing it up in high A, after tearing, after tearing it up in low A. I think PCA probably is more of a September call-up. 
So the way the roster rules work right now, once they get to September 1st, you can expand the rosters to 28. It used to be you could call it basically anybody on your 40-man, and there would be teams in contention or teams not in contention that would you know all of a sudden have like 20 guys in the bullpen. That's no longer the case. Um, they could rotate through different guys just like they continue to do. The minor league teams will play through mid to late September. So they will have teams that can bounce down to. But I would expect that I think there's a really good chance the PCA gets the call up after September 1st. So you can call up two additional players. One of them can be a pitcher. So during the regular season, there's a limit to 13 pitchers on the active roster. And with September call-ups, you can go to 14. So it might make a lot of sense if it's PCA and Jordan Wicks. Um, one caveat to each of those is neither Wicks nor PCA are on the 40-man roster right now. The Cubs do have, I believe, two open spots at the moment. They did, um, I'll talk about this more in a minute, but they did DFA Tucker Barnhart. So that opened up another spot, and the Cubs did claim Edwin Yuseta from the Mets. He's a right-hander. They brought him in clearly as bullpen depth. Um, because he was on the Mets major league roster when he was designated for assignment, he cleared waivers, and then, or he did not clear waivers because the Cubs claimed him, but the Cubs claimed him off their major league or 40-man roster, so he's on the Cubs' 40-man roster. But the Cubs do have two extra spots right now, so they could just add PCA and Wicks. But then if Nick Birdie or... Brendan Hughes or Brad Boxberger come back, they would have to clear additional spots. And when I look up and down the 40-man roster, I mean, I see they've, they've trimmed this quite a bit this year. So on the trimming of roster, you know, we've talked a lot recently in recent episodes about urgency and the Cubs being willing to move away from guys. You know, it was just a couple of weeks ago they let Trey Mancini go despite having, you know, $7 million on him this year and next year. Now they let Tucker Barnhart go who had $3.25 million on this year and next year. So that basically they've already eaten $10 million in dead money against next season. And that is, I guess, both a critique and a credit to the front office. Um, those were moves that did not work out. They did the same with Eric Hosmer, but I think that was always seen as kind of a flyer from the start, and you were getting him a league minimum for this year only. So there really wasn't that much of a potential harm. But... You know, investing two years in Trey Mancini, investing two years in Tucker Barnhart, and neither one hitting at all, and having struggles defensively, it's just, it just it shows a willingness to walk away from the money, which is a good thing, but hopefully they can get some of those depth players a little bit better next year. But when we look down the roster now with Mancini gone and Barnhart gone and some of these other guys gone, you know, I see on the on the pitcher side, if the Cubs were going to make any cuts, I mean, you might be looking at Michael Rucker. Um Maybe maybe you said it. Maybe you said it doesn't stick. I know he's been pitching in Iowa, um, and they took a flyer on him. They could just as easily let him go. They could let Anthony K go. He's had big struggles in Chicago. Um, otherwise, you know, you're mostly down to guys who are either currently on the 60 day IL, so they're not actually on the 40 man, or it's young pitchers. Like even if you, the Cubs might send Daniel Palencia down, but they are certainly not going to DFA him. He's shown way way more promise than that. And then on the position player lineup. You know, on the 40-man, you've only got two catchers now, so Young, Gomes, and Miguel Amaya are going to share that. Um, possibly Jared Young. He continues to hit and put up good AAA numbers, but he looked completely lost at the major league level. He's also older, so he's not quite the prospect level that some other guys are, like Matt Mervis. Um, 
at some point they're going to have to decide what to do with Patrick Wisdom. I mean, his, his power numbers are off the chart, so I absolutely understand why they're keeping him. But he's almost unplayable defensively at this point, doesn't have a position, and he's also he's so boomer bust. He's very much, you know, he's striking out 36% of the time. Has the massive power, though, so you, know, you can put him in the game and he might go one for four with three Ks and, and a bomb. Um, I don't necessarily see him as a DFA candidate, but it's always possible. He does have options, though, so he could get sent down to Iowa off the active roster. And then for outfielders, there's not really much either. I mean, you're not going to move Kevin Alcantara or Alexander Canario off that roster. They could maybe slide, try to slide Brennan Davis through um, after another surgery. But, you know, you bring PCA up, you're certainly not going to release Mike Talkman. No chance. And then the other ones are Ian Happ, Cody Bellinger, and Seiya Suzuki. So I think the pickings are slim on the roster side when they go to add a couple more people. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think there are options there. But And then offensively, the Cubs have had a lot of games lately where they're scoring four runs, five runs, three runs. Um, Cubs got red hot through a good chunk of July and early August. I mean, the series against the Reds was kind of really through the through the Braves series. You know, the Cubs were scoring 20 and 16 runs against the Reds, and then they stacked up eight a couple times on the on the Braves. And you know, I can't even complain. Like last night they scored seven against the Tigers. A couple of those were unearned. But when you look up and down the roster, since the All-Star break, you know, the basically the whole offense has WRC plus over 100 we got Nick Madrigal kind of right there, but if you look at more recent stretch, you know, he's been better than that. Christopher Morell has had his struggles, but I think Christopher Morell is a guy that you just have to take what you get. I mean, he's so electric. You're going to get moments like that walk off the other night, like that kind of came out of nowhere. And then he's going to strike out a bunch of times. Like right now, he's kind of back to where he was towards the end of last year, striking out. 38.6% 38.6% of the time since the all-star break, but his walks are up. So last, last year he was, had a much lower walk rate, but now he's walking 11% of the time, which is really, it's like fifth on the team since the all-star break behind Talkman, Candelario, Hap, and I guess Tucker Barnhart surprisingly, but that's no more. Um, so he's, he's taken more walks. He's having better at bats. He's just swinging through pitches and that's part of the learning curve for, kid his age. I mean, he's got so much promise. He's so electric. Um, he'll be interesting to watch the rest of the season. And there's been a lot of talk about Ian Happ batting third. A lot of people, and myself included, I probably would move him off that spot. I understand the desire to keep guys in relative consistency. So, you know, Happ's a guy, he's, he's shown it in his career. Right? When, when he was a young player, he was bumped in out of the lineup. He was playing a bunch of different positions. He was hitting at different spots in the order and he would go through big stretches of struggle. And he's a guy who I think really thrives on consistency and knowing what he's doing every day. Now that consistency could be shifting to consistently hit fifth, sixth, seventh. But I can also see the argument, you know, as as much as he walks, he has maintained despite going through any of the slumps he's gone through this year, his on-base percentage has been pretty consistent. He's second or third in the league in walks. And at one point he was second to Soto. I think somebody else may have passed him recently. Um, but he gets on base a lot. And so when you have Bellinger batting fourth as as well as he's been hitting, it's kind of nice to have a walk machine in front of Bellinger. So I get why they do it. I don't know that I necessarily would. But this offense on the whole, 
you know, I think they're the sixth highest scoring offense in the second half. Maybe no, I think they're sixth highest. Let me look it up. They're currently the fifth highest scoring offense in baseball for the entire season. Um, behind only the Braves, the Rangers, the Dodgers, and the Rays. They're seven run they've scored seven runs more than Houston, twelve runs more than Baltimore, and thirteen runs more than Boston. So the Cubs are getting it done offensively. It just seems to be not always quite consistent enough. They'll have, you know, a game where they it seems like this happens all the time, but it's probably all of baseball. We just focus on it because it's the Cubs. But, you know, they'll go score 13 runs, win a game 13-2, to two, and then they kind of get shut down the next two days. But as long as they're, they've been much more consistently getting three, four, five runs, and a lot of times their pitching has been good enough to keep them in games. So I guess that really comes down to expectations. I mean, the, as the Cubs go through this, they're in that quote-unquote easy stretch of the schedule right now where they had the Mets, and then they went to um, Toronto, which was certainly not easy, and they come home against the Sox and the Royals. Now they're on the road to Detroit and Pittsburgh. And then they have a big week next week. Next week they're going to play three at home against the Brewers and go on the road for four against Cincinnati. And then after that they come back home. They've got three against the Giants, who were very much a contention for the wild card, and four against the Diamondbacks, who were – Big early in the season, they were leading the West for a long time. Really faded back. They seem to be playing a little bit better baseball right now. And then they've got Colorado, and then they have Arizona again. And then another round with Pittsburgh and the Rockies. And then they end the season with the Braves and the Brewers. So they've got a mixed bag, but they've got some opportunities against the Brewers, who are in front of them for the division. They've got six games coming up. They've got four against the Reds. If they could win three or four of those, that might potentially really knock the Reds back. They've been struggling a bit lately. Um, but they've got chances against good teams, and they've also got some places where they could theoretically pad, pad. So watch these games. I think the Tigers tonight You know, have a starter who is kind of boomer bust. He may come out, and Cubs might jump on him early and, and run up a big number. Or they might kind of get shut down a little bit, and we'll see how it goes. But it's not a great Tiger offense. I mean, we saw a classic. We saw classic Javi Baez last night. I love Javi. I'll always love Javi um, for so many reasons. I'll always remember his home run against the Giants in the division series in 2016. Into the wind, he hit a shot that probably would have been onto Waveland that barely made the basket because the wind was howling in that night. I'll never forget Johnny Cueto twisting around watching that ball fly out. But he just he just can't get his strike zone discipline under control. I mean, it he did get a double last night, but that double he got last night, his last at bat was, it was a good fastball from Fulmer in on the hands, broke his bat, blooped it out, just landed on the right field line. So a bit of a lucky hit there, but otherwise he just looked lost. I mean, he struck out a couple of times and a couple of the strikeouts were bad. I mean, it's just sweeper sliders that were balls out of the hand that he just had clearly just decided he was going to swing at ahead of time. So hopefully the Cubs continue to have him off balance. Um, there are a couple guys to pay attention to in the Tigers' order. Like, you know, these teams aren't just going to roll over. Torkelson's been on absolute tear, and Carpenter's also been hitting really, really well. And, I mean, last night the two of them were combined 7 for 10 with five runs scored and two RBIs. You got Veerling, who can do a little damage. Um, Javi is going to be boomer bust. You know, get his hit, he'll strike out a couple times. Zach McKinstry was off to a really big start earlier in the season. He's faded back a little bit. But really this is a lineup that, you know, hopefully the Cubs can keep them down. They give up a couple, 
just hold them to a couple runs through six. Hopefully the Cubs can get four or five and then let the bullpen go to work. But this is where it's, you know, we feel that urgency every night. There's excitement. There's drama. You know, we get annoyed if the Cubs win a game maybe closer than they should have. Like, this is not last year where, oh, hey, the Cubs won today. This is great. No, now they're fighting for something, and you want them to look good, and you want them to look like they're going to build some momentum and carry something through and and go on a run. And baseball's hard. You know, one thing I was going to talk about originally is in my lifetime, which I've got 42 years of following the Cubs going back to about 1982. Yeah, I'm that old. Um, The Cubs have been in contention 16 times in 42 years. So this is number 17. And sorry, this, this is year 16. They've been in contention 15 years prior. And then this one, and out of those 15 seasons, they've made some form of postseason 11 times. You know, only four times in my lifetime have the Cubs been in contention and came up short. And when I walk through those, a couple of those are particularly painful. Um, but, you know, it started out the very first year they were in contention for me. I was 10, you know, very early in my Cubs dumb. I had no idea that things weren't that easy. But that 1984 team, they ran off a 96 and 65 record. That was so much fun. They won again in 1989, you know, five years later. So, again, like, I'm a Cubs fan after a Cubs drought from 1945, and I've been rooting for the team basically for seven years, and they've got two postseasons. That's pretty amazing. But the, you know, the 1995 team was probably the first one that was seriously in contention and came up short. That team finished 73 and 71, given the late start after the, the strike. They wound up third in the wild card race, and they were in it right down to the last week or two of the season they were in for that. That would have been the the first year of the wild card. The Rockies wound up taking it. And I think the Cubs finished third behind them in the Astros, but it was, it was pretty close and they were in it down to the last week plus. You know, 98, they won the wild card with that fantastic year where Terry Mulholland seemed to pitch basically every other game for about four innings per game for the Cubs. He had just a rubber arm that year. But then the next time they really lost out was 2001. That 2001 team was good. John Lieber was doing some really good things and they were, you know, three games out in September. They wound up going 88 and 74, but missed out on the playoffs. You know, we all know what happened in 2003, but then in 2004, I've talked about it on this podcast before, like that, that was a really good team. That should have been another team competing for the world series title. I mean, they had added Derek Lee that year. They brought back Greg Maddox. They had a midseason trade for Nomar Garcia Parra, but, you know, Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor couldn't stay healthy. The team led by Kent Merker, so thank you, Kent, for especially for not pitching as well as you could have, really got into it with the announcers the second half of the season. That's that season just ended so sourly. That was the that was the last year of Sammy Sosa when Kerry Wood legendarily smashed his boombox after Sosa skipped out on the last day of the season when they weren't in contention. Um it was just ugly. That was that was a bad year. 07, 08, they won. And then, you know, we had the great run, obviously, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. You know, four straight years in the playoffs, all very good teams. 2018 ended with a whimper, but that team won 95 games. You know, so they, the Brewers had to get, I think they won their last eight that season to force game 163, which they won, and the Cubs couldn't score in a wild card game against the Rockies. Um, but 2019 was really the painful year. That was the last year the Cubs were in contention, didn't make it. 
that team was was good. They had some injuries late. They just did not have enough pitching. Um, they wound up going 84-78. They were in the race to late September. That's when they famously called up Nico Horner very, very early after he was drafted um, when they just had no shortstops left. Everybody was hurt. Javi Baez got hurt, and so they brought Nico up. And he played well down the stretch, but the Cubs just didn't have enough and missed out on the playoffs. And then since then, you know, they won the division in the COVID-shortened 2020 year, and they've been abysmal the last two years. So this is exciting baseball. It's a space we haven't really seen since the end of the, really the, the good days of the last core. And there just really haven't been that many years where the Cubs, hopefully this is also a year where the Cubs are in contention and make it. But even if they don't, there's value in being in contention. There are young players on this team. They're learning how to win. The Cubs are not selling. So all these games, all this excitement, like Christopher Morell's walk-off last week would have been a ton of fun even last year. It'd be great. Hey, look what this young kid just did. That was an exciting game. We beat the White Sox. But there's playoff implications hanging on these games. Every pitch late, Cubs are down. Cubs are down. And then, boom, it's a three-run home run. And suddenly the Cubs win one, and it's like they kind of steal one. So you're now you got to race out and see what the Brewers and the Reds and the Giants and the Diamondbacks did. It's just fun. Enjoy it. Um, live out every up and down of these games. Live the drama. Live the highs. Live the lows. Because as bad as the lows are, unless we get to that point in the season where it's the lowest of the low, because now they've been eliminated. Like that's all part of the action. And if you're not in contention, if you're not seriously trying to win, then these moments don't matter. But the Cubs are setting themselves up. And again, with the young players, maybe we'll get PCA and Wicks to make their debut. Um, Christopher Morrell, Justin Steele, still relatively young guys. Like Being able to get this experience in a pennant race is just invaluable. And I hope, with the, I hope the Cubs can string this out. The one thing I've said all along during the season was that I wanted the Cubs to play meaningful baseball late in the season into September. And it's looking like they're going to do that unless they somehow go in the tank right now. So I'm just living on these games every day, every game I'm watching when I can live. It's, it's more fun live. I can engage on Twitter and do some of the other things, but I've also got a family and other responsibilities and a day job and all that. So sometimes I'm watching on MLB TV, starting a game maybe an hour after it starts and it's still fun. You know, it's just, hide my phone, stay off Twitter, you know, avoid the updates and watch the game for what it is. And I could skip ahead and just jump to live, but you know, like I, I care what happens in the fourth. I want to see if the starting pitcher struggled in the fourth or if the Cubs had a rally in the fifth and didn't, didn't plate that run, or maybe they did plate that run. Like I want that drama. I, I want those moments in my life and I've missed them terribly the last couple of years. Um, one other guy I meant to mention earlier on potential comebacks is Keegan Thompson. He is thrown really well. If you follow Alex Cohen, voice of Cohen, who was a guest on my show about two months ago, um, he's regularly posting up what some of the Iowa Cubs guys are doing. And Keegan Thompson is back from his injuries, and he's looking pretty good. So he's another guy who might be able to come up and maybe be that sixth, fifth or sixth guy in the circle of trust for David Ross. So more to come. Watch these games. Enjoy contention baseball. Enjoy the drama. Enjoy the sense of urgency. And we'll talk more soon. Thank you for listening today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating or a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share the episode with a friend. Just a few seconds gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter or X 
Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, cubspsplus.patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. As always, the music for this podcast is from Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!